0: Hello listener, it's the host of Campbell's Football's Grant Campbell here with a message to every one of you listening to this podcast. Please keep safe during this very stressful time with the outbreak of coronavirus affecting not just football but our everyday lives. Make sure your friends and family are safe during this very stressful time for many of us, not just physically but mentally too. But Campbell's Football's will still be producing podcasts However, there will be very few predictions because obviously there's not much football going on at the moment. I have a few in conversation specials though, which I'm sure you would love to listen to. But at the end of the day, please make sure that you look after yourselves. Take the time to listen to the show in your own home, with friends and family. And remember that we are all in this together. So take care, be safe, and I'll see you soon. I hear the rumor of a good life. Do you hear it now? Must be the rumor of a good life. I looked into the future, it was all the same. I was under the sky, no new horizons. Maybe there is no one else to. Welcome back, Lister! to the Campbell's Football's Podcast. I'm joined for this episode uh, by Charlie Eccleshire, journalist from The Athletic. Charlie, a warm welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, not too bad. It's still very strange times with uh, this coronavirus uh, causing havoc with our everyday lives. But we're getting by. How's things with yourself, and how has the coronavirus affected you?
1: Yeah, I'm all right. So my wife's pregnant, so we started... uh, maybe a week earlier than most people so yeah it feels like we've been doing it for a long time um but yeah you know making the best of it it's obviously weird professionally covering uh football when there's no live football but um yeah it still it still seems to be really really busy so um yeah i think i'm fortunate in that way because i think yeah right now you Probably want to be as busy as possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just before I go any further I just want to say congratulations. Um, how 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 long to wait?
1: Oh, uh, thank you. Um, two months, almost exactly. Ah,
0: good stuff. Right about my birthday. July's actually my birthday month. So, oh, really? Uh, so uh, that's uh, fantastic. Well, I really wish you guys all the best, and hopefully it's a smooth uh, journey and process up to that point. Um, I hope so.
1: It was, meant to be, uh, it was meant to be a Wimbledon baby. It's due uh, during what was meant to be, what would have been Wimbledon, which I... Would a big tennis fan I was quite excited
0: about it. Uh, yeah yeah not well well big. come on to speak f- well come on to speak to tennis in a middle uh, towards the end of this podcast because I'm a really big fan of the the tennis podcast and if people who are listening to this are looking for some alternative sport to listen to do check those guys out because David law from BBC Radio 5 live and Catherine Whitaker from Eurosport and Amazon Prime do some fabulous content of which Charlie contributes along with uh, Simon Briggs. Um, Fabulous podcast, and I just thought I'd give that a wee bit of a plug before we kick off. Uh, Charlie, as I said um, at the beginning, I've been a really big fan of your work you've done in the journalistic game. And obviously, so, uh, following Tottenham, which is a, a club that many people uh, are very interested to see, especially their their last few seasons, because it's certainly been very interesting following the the rise of Maurizio Pochettino and then obviously with uh, Jose Mourinho coming in. So, my first question to you, as a journalist yourself, is what made you want to go into journalism in the first place?
1: Um, well, I think probably like a lot of people, I was always obs- well, I was obsessed with sport as a kid, and when I I uh, got to the age of about 11 or 12 I realised I wasn't a bit a professional footballer so I thought well, what's the next best thing would be to write about it and so and then writing was also my passion really I always really enjoyed that I always enjoyed uh, essay subjects at school um, so it just felt like a natural fit really um, and yeah I mean football and tennis the two things I've always written about maybe they were the sports growing up that I yeah. uh, was most passionate about and so it just you know this idea that there was a career where you could do that, where you could write about something that you felt really really passionately about, um, always seemed to me like the dream job. And as a kid, you know, I would read lots of sports journalism um, and found it very inspiring. So, yeah, that to me always seemed like the, the pinnacle, really, mm-hmm. the, thing, the thing to aim towards.
0: Any inspirations on a personal level and on a professional level as well at that stage? Players? You mean kind of in, gen- in just a general sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, hmm, I mean, as a kid, the, the, the tennis players I really loved were like Pete Sampras and Martina Hingis. Uh, that was kind of when I started watching, and those two are really dominant. And then a bit further on, so my Andy Murray, um, I always right from when he started, we're a very similar age actually, so when he, you know, you have that kind of affinity sometimes with people uh, the same sort of age, so he was someone who uh, I always really admired, and then I have to say being there uh, for his second Wimbledon win in 2016 was a a bit of one of those moments when you think, I can't believe how lucky I am, that here I am, at Wimbledon reporting on Andy Murray winning the title when this was someone who was a kid, I uh, was a teenager anyway, I found such an inspiration, yeah. so yeah, he, he's, um, he was definitely someone who, who growing up, like, I admired and thought, wow, that would be really cool to, yeah. to write yeah. about him one
0: yeah. day. And, and, and in, a, in journalistic terms, was there anybody that really caught your eye growing up? Yeah,
1: I mean, I- um, was brought up on The Guardian, The Observer, so uh, a lot of those guys, you know, that was uh, also in, in those days, you know, this is pre social media, so mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like you, you weren't like promiscuous with how you read and uh, absorbed your news. You kind of just had one thing and you took at the mercy to understand what your parents read. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I love reading those reports, uh, and I really liked 442 magazine, and I remember Henry Winter had a column, I think, in there or something, yes. and that. You know, here that you know, he seemed like uh, a kind of uh, you know, laureate of, of sports journalism. So, yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was those were the kind of publications I was reading. And Four Forty Two was really cool because they did they did lots of really interesting features, often with a kind of historical bent and history of what I studied at the university. And was really interested. So again, that seemed like. Uh, it were really cool that there was a profession where you could kind of fuse together all of these different elements mm-hmm. in one place. So, yeah, they, they were the kind of things that I read and was like, wow, you know, one day I'd love to be doing that.
0: You mentioned Andy Murray as one of your idols and he's obviously one of mine because being from Scotland, he for me, he's he just symbolises sport up, up in Scotland. What does he mean to you?
1: A lot. I mean, he's someone... It's really interesting when he was kind of um, supposed... You know when we all thought he was retiring in January of last year and we all wrote our uh, kind of tennis obituaries a little bit and, and my uh, this was when I was at The Telegraph, was uh, was about what he meant to me. And I think the, the thing that I always found and still do, found so amazing with him was his relatability. I mean, he was a guy who, the way he acted on court was kind of how I acted on court, and in, a, in the sense of that stroppy, petulant. And these are not things to aspire to at all, but they're very relatable. Yeah. You know, it was like, God, this is someone who seems as flawed on the court as I do. You know, he's, yeah. you know, he's behaving badly. He, you know, a lot of sports people feel otherworldly. Um, you know, like I cannot in any way relate to Roger Federer. I can admire him hugely, but he's just like this intergalactical amazing yeah. other world superhero yeah. Murray is a superhero in a different way but he, he just felt really real to me always you know his struggles were so laid bare yeah. it looked like everything was so hard for him and the fact that he was playing in this era with Nadal Djokovic and Federer meant that he had to like eke out everything yeah. and so I just loved that I loved um I loved how much he cared, and you know, some people make it look so easy. Yeah. <laughs> he always made it look really yeah. hard, yeah. And, I, and I could, I could relate to that. And I, and I found it's funny when I wrote that piece. I, um, I kind of confessed to the fact that around the time before he won the Grand Slam, because it. it, it it's easy to forget now because, you know, he's won three sports, sports lessons of the years, he's broadly been accepted by the public at large. There was a long period where he wasn't and he got so much stick and abuse a lot of because of that joke he made about being the novel of The World Cup. In 2006. But I was constantly having arguments with people about, um, you know, about Andy Murray and that, you know, they are like, oh, he's der and he's boring and he's brattish and that. Uh, it's it's crazy how you know why I would bother having these arguments, but I did because I really felt strongly that he was none of yes. those things and he was an extremely interesting person. And so when I wrote this piece, people were kind of coming forward and reminding me of these mm. uh, arguments or debates that we mm. have the parties and whatever. When should probably been you know, uh, talking about more interesting things, but uh, it was something I felt quite strongly about. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I, I just think he's he is a really interesting person. And then. You know, you talk about like, don't meet your heroes, but he was someone who, working in the media, I, I still really admired him because in press conferences, he he is very thoughtful. He, he very rarely is on autopilot and doesn't give the question due consideration. Hmm. And, you know, he can be very, um, he can give pretty withering put downs if he thinks that there's, you know, a question that, uh, or a statement he disagrees with. There was the famous one where the journalist talked about the first American player. To reach uh, mm. the Wimbledon semi-finals, he pointed out you'd be a male player, things like that. But he, um, yeah, he's someone who yeah I just you know in sport you feel a connection with some
0: people he he was definitely one of those yeah that that was a really great point you mentioned there because you know what I've always loved about Murray is his respect for for women in tennis you know how often have we seen him have this discussion about you know that he was the first person I know on the men's tour certainly that I I remember who may correct me on this but to get someone like Amelie Maresmo as his coach you know People just kind of looked at that and thought, wow, you know, that's something that you wouldn't even think about doing. But it was almost like a landmark moment. And then he's constantly been, you know, really supportive of the women's game. I love his discussions with Billie Jean King. And, you know, I think that can only be a positive thing, not just for for tennis, but sport as a whole.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a guy who he called out the BBC for when Catherine Johnson-Thompson won, I think it was a European title, for not having it high enough on their website. You know, he, he cares a lot about these issues. And when he appointed Merez as his coach, you know, he said later he got loads of comments about it in the locker room and this sort of thing. I mean, to me, it's like he's the prototype of a... Of, of what you want from a sporting hero you know he gives absolutely everything he cares deeply about the sport but he's also very articulate and interested in societal issues issues of equality things like that so yeah i think there's um yeah much to admire in
0: him yeah absolutely and uh, talk to me about your university standing we'll, we'll go back to yourself now charlie um, you obviously said, told me that you spent a lot of time at university studying history and, and, and uh, Literature-based subjects. How did that then transfer to you working for the Telegraph?
1: Well, my journey was fairly circuitous in a way. I, I mean, I think everyone. Uh, no, no one has the. No one has a straightforward path. But yeah, I did I did a history undergrad, and then I actually did a master's in international relations. And
0: this was this was where.
1: So the undergrad was at Nottingham. Right. And then the master's was at SOAS, which is one of the London schools um but it was it was around the time of the global recession so I graduated like end of the previous decade like 2009 2010 sort of time oh. and you know it was basically warned off going into journalism which and i kind of regret that but i, I listened really i was like it's not a good uh, it's not a good time there are no jobs um you know it's just, yeah, it was, it's just not a good idea, kind of thing. And you know, I sort of listened to that, so I applied for grad schemes. I worked for a few years, um, at like in public relations, public affairs, company doing sort of political, um, some corporate sort of stuff. Did that for a few years and, and, and enjoyed it. You know, it was, a, it was a really good company, learned loads, but I still had this itch, I wanted to scratch, uh, yes. and yes yeah, so I got to a point years after I started where I just thought I feel I need to give this a go Um, and so I um, quit my job and did a journalism course you can do like an intense four four or five month course which basically condenses what should be a year-long thing into a shorter period of time because I wanted to just get on with it at that point anyway so I did that then was able to get shifts at the evening Standard. Uh, the Daily Mail on their online desks uh, kind of as a freelancer straight after that and then having been doing that for a few months a job opened up at the Telegraph on their online desk um, and I applied for it and got it and, I mean it just really fortunate timing because jobs don't really come around very often in sports journalism especially like staff jobs and someone like the Telegraph so yeah it was very fortunate that it all happened that quickly and then once I got there I I just worked away really at like carving a bit of a niche for myself because if you, when you're a bit younger and more junior um, that's the way really if you want to um, kind of get your name in print and that sort of thing so um, I would do things like I would interview footballers uh, who say British players who are now playing abroad and that kind of thing. Uh, I did a lot of stuff in tennis around mental health uh, and looking at the low restaurants of the game that were more underreported, mm-hmm. and just kind of building yeah. uh, contacts and, net- and a network in uh, football and tennis, and uh, just getting my name out there. A bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, was, was there was like a off for nearly five years, and, and loved it, had a really good time there. And, yeah. uh, but then yeah, but then an opportunity to get there came up uh, last summer. Yeah,
0: talk to me about the people that you worked alongside at the Telegraph. Um, who were your inspirations and idols that you were working alongside?
1: Yeah, I mean, so many, so many great people there. I mean, Simon Briggs, obviously, is a tennis correspondent who uh, is, is just a brilliant, brilliant writer.
0: Simon's a really interesting guy. I'm just going to jump in a little bit there because every time I listen to the tennis podcast, I Im- imagine him as a really. Senior guy with a lot of knowledge, but when I when I googled him or I think I tweeted, i a look on Twitter. He looks really young. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope when I he, don't give uh, Simon a disservice by saying that, but I, he's just not who I expected him to look like.
1: Yeah, I think when he on one of his first appearances, that was brought up on the tennis podcast, that there, that everyone had the same sort of view that he he sounds like this kind of veteran. Um, Porter And he's very Experienced Absolutely very Yeah he's, uh, he's He is relatively young But I mean, he's Brilliant he's, he's an absolutely Amazing writer He's also someone Who helped me Enormously uh, When I was starting He would take The time to uh, Read things I'd written And give feedback And that sort of thing is just invaluable And things he said To me I still think about now Yeah um, Adam Sills John Mullen, Andy Fifield were all extremely helpful with me um, and then other writers someone like Sam Wallace and I know a lot of people say this he was, he was very helpful um, you know someone who has time for you uh, people like Jeremy Wilson on the football beat as well I mean there are so many um, yeah. Paul Hayward who you know yeah. Paul Hayward actually was someone who uh, when I was growing up was in the Guardian and um yeah I've always just had a huge amount of, of admiration for him you know he's, he's yeah
0: in terms of in terms of guy. yeah yeah in terms of preparation for a, a, a sports piece or a tennis piece how, how much time would you spend planning it out
1: it sort of depends I mean some things will take like will be months in the planning and um, you know getting from the idea to, to actually on the page so like I did a tennis series at the Telegraph which is a 3 part on kind of on that uh, sort of low restaurants of the sport and so one was on um, the kind of general hardship that you know the young the, um, players on like, the future circuit phase and there was one on mental health and there was one on social media abuse. and that, that took months and months yeah. of getting all the interviews done putting it all together and um, and then on the, but sometimes, you know, you'll be told, uh, you know, you'll be trying to get an interview, you'll be told that you've got it, not have that long to prepare and have to turn it around that afternoon. Yeah. I remember uh, talking to Alex Flegg, the former Arsenal player. He was overplaying for his team against Chelsea and didn't get to be to him until sometime in the afternoon and then had to turn around for a kind of a 1200 word interview. For a few hours later, and it's amazing how quickly you can work when uh, when you have to. Um, but but also, you know, generally features and interviews, you have more time. but the, the live events, certainly if you're writing for a newspaper, that's when it's you're really up against the wise mm. When you know you've got this looming deadline, and basically, as soon as the match finishes, you're having to hit send on a report. Yeah. And I have so much respect for the guys who do that regularly because it is really, really difficult uh, but, you know, to do that well when you're, you're, you're up against it like, at that time.
0: In, in terms of the people that you've interviewed as well, um, can you name drop any high profile people that you've e- interviewed?
1: Uh, well you mentioned one earlier, it was Billie Jean King um, and again, someone who you feel slightly transcends sport um, you know, someone who has done things um, For you know, society, where you are kind of like, wow, I'm really in the presence of a legend. Yeah, uh, you know, so, and not just within sport. she was definitely, he definitely felt that aura. Outside of sport, one, one of the people who I felt I could afford to be a bit starstruck by because he wasn't actually sport, but was David Attenborough. Really? Uh, that, yeah. That was wow. Really cool. What yeah, a legend! Again, I did feel like that who you interview and you're like they've been on Deserted Disc, you're like I am interviewing a real legend here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he was certainly one who I, I did feel a bit of like I've got to prove
0: myself. This is cool. Ah, stunning. I, I think Amber is an absolute legend. Absolutely fantastic. Um, let's talk about your your movement into the athletic. How did that come about? Because that's a that's a kind of magazine, newspaper organization that is really going from strength to strength.
1: Yeah. So I just got. Last summer, he got a text from Alex Kajelski, who's the editor in chief of the UK operation of the Athletic. Uh, he was, he had been the sports head, the head of sport at the Times, hugely well respected, uh, and we and we'd met a few times. We knew each other a little bit, and anyway, he just messaged me saying, you know, do you want me for a coffee? And I did, and he was like, do you want to come work for us? We're setting up this UK operation, and you know, hiring. Lots of people. It's new. It's exciting. We're getting this. You know these people, uh, and it just seemed like such an exciting opportunity. I mean, it was a really difficult one because I was really happy where I was. So it was definitely. um, It wasn't an easy decision, but it just felt like such an exciting opportunity. I couldn't really turn it down. Yeah. Do you have
0: you have to? Do you have to almost go where the opportunity is ahead of a financial aspect? Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean. The, yeah. It was the opportunity to, um, you know, to be part of this new thing, to be covering uh, a team like Tottenham. It just felt so so exciting, and you know, the whole new way of doing things. It's all online. It's all yeah. um, behind the paywall. It, it just felt really exciting and yeah. different. And, yeah, I think, you know, and, that, and that's why so many people were joining at that time and are still joining and yes, that's why it's done so well because yeah. it, it, it does offer something very different
0: this is a really stupid question why Tottenham?
1: yeah well that was more from their side they okay. uh, they were kind of because each club has a reporter yes. some clubs have two and like for Spurs we have me and Jack Pitbrook who does probably about you know he divides the time to Tottenham and then you know, a bunch of other things whereas my time is more uh, Mm -hmm. dedicated to the Spurs, but they, I think for them, they were, you know, Alex was trying to piece everything together and allocate uh, people to different clubs and he thought it would be a good fit. Uh, For me, you know, covering a team that had just reached the Champions League final, it was like, amazing. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. so yeah, that, that was kind of how it came about And I'm, I'm glad because they've been extremely newsworthy this season Well
0: absolutely and, and, and my my first question to you talking about Spurs Is what have you made of their journey Because under Maurizio Pochettino They, they, they got to the Champions of the Final They were very solid in the league Now Jose Mourinho has come in And it's, it's definitely changed the dynamic there
1: Yeah, I mean my... <laughs> My arrival coincided with the decline To the extent where A couple of the Spurs guys <laughs> call me the jinx um, So I, I started on the Monday On the, My second day in the job Was uh, the 7-2 Defeat at home to Bayern Munich oh, uh, A few days after that Spurs lost 3-0 at Brighton In what was actually probably a worse performance
0: I remember that game <laughs> So
1: it, yeah I, It seems like I'm to play um, But it, it did mean it's been a really uh, tumultuous period, yeah. I suppose um, And then, yeah, obviously Pochettino being sacked uh, Bringing in Mourinho um, so much going on mm. But yeah, it's, it's been very, very exciting But um, and, and just non-stop, you know, just constant you know, So much uh, action and that kind of thing But I think the team are in a bit of a period. Um, you know, you've had a manager for that long and mm-hmm. been so successful. I think there was a period where you got to readapt a little bit, and I think we're seeing that. But it's still positive for them. I think they're still, you know, if and when the season ever resumes, I think they, they could get Champions League because yeah. they don't have having their credit this
0: Taking your journalism hat off, did you think that Pochettino deserved to get sacked at the time?
1: Yeah, it was such a hard one. Um,
0: because I remember when it came out and I was just like, I couldn't see it coming. But when, when I knew he was going to get sacked, I just thought, you know who's coming in next.
1: Yeah, I, it's such a hard one, Pochettino, because on one hand, you're like, how can you sack someone who has done all that he has? But on the other, it, just, it was kind of broken and I don't know how long. I mean, basically, they had a choice, broadly speaking, because they had to refresh the... Uh, what, what was there and so either you get rid of the manager or you refresh the squad and obviously getting rid of the manager is a much easier thing to do and it's only one step whereas refreshing a squad is extremely complicated so I can understand the logic in it but um, I, I kind of think it did have to be done at that time it had mm-hmm. it, it reached that point unless they were just going to mm-hmm completely overhaul the squad but I just never thought that was as likely given the cost uh, and everything else that's involved in doing that.
0: That's interesting. Uh, Talk to me about Spurs' new stadium because that has been one of the huge pluses of of Spurs over the last few years as well as getting to the Champions League Final of course. What a grand setup! Yeah, it is amazing. I think it is,
1: (laughs) to me it feels like one of the best Stadiums, if not the best stadium in Europe, just because it's so uh, fresh and pristine and everything's well thought out. Like, stadiums are weird. They, they almost like reflect the moment in time in which they were they, built. They, they obviously get a refurb from time to time, but um, broadly, they seem to, often they're kind of frozen in time. So Tottenham's just feels by far the most modern, uh, by far the most well equipped. And for media, is it's a really, really nice place to work. Yeah, uh, and I, think, you know, that it, it, it's a slight shame for them because the move has coincided with the results not being so good. Yeah. So some of the games, um, yeah, the atmosphere hasn't been as good as it as it might have been. But I think once the results will uh, start picking up, it, yeah. it will be it will be fantastic. I mean, that South Stand in particular, the really steep one, is is brilliant yeah. and on. Ignite, when they're winning
0: it's, it's, It makes a good night in, in terms of the current Spurs side uh, That's on the pitch Who's your star players To, to keep an eye on Because I, I obviously think Of people like Harry Kane And, and Hume and some, But there's there's loads of other players Who seem to be doing really well At this moment in time as well Yeah, well Giovanni
1: De Celso Is the big one he, um, he only came in He came initially on loan Last summer And then he In January And he, he, uh, he had injuries At the start uh, And it looked You know, at first, as though, like, you know, maybe he's not suited to the Premier League. You know, he's quite slight and this kind of thing. But since January, he's forced to enter the the team. And since then, he's basically been Spurs' best player. He's really incredible. Uh, He can dribble. He can pass. He's just got it all, really. Like, he's so, so gifted. And Mm. he is someone who, like, really gets fans off their seats. He's he's made such a difference. He's been, like... He's been the most positive thing I think that's happened to Spurs this season. Um, Steven Bergwijn I think is going to be a really good signing too. He only came in in January but has looked really sharp early on. Um, pasty, direct, goal threat. Uh, Jafet Tanganga has come through from the academy. and He started playing pretty regularly and it's always really exciting when a young player comes through. You know. Um, and so I think, yeah, I, I, he's definitely one to watch as well, already playing pretty well. Yeah. So, yeah, those are some of the guys. And Don Belay, obviously, he's been a big talking point because he hasn't been as good as uh, people have hoped. Yeah, And, been, you
0: know. and obviously, Delhi Ali as well, who, you know, even though he has his off days, is still a very solid player and quite a young player. Let's not forget that. Yeah, we did a big piece on Delhi, actually, uh, on the Athletic
1: recently. And it kind of goes into. Lots of detail on, on all the different sides of things, but part of it is the fact he's only just 20, turned 24. He's achieved a huge amount, and Absolutely. it tries to place him and his career in a bit of context because I think he is someone who gets a lot of criticism because people expect a huge amount. Um, but he is still, you know, he, he still gets very good numbers for goals and assists. He's probably having to evolve a little bit. He suffered from when Kane's been injured, but he's. You know, ridiculously gifted, and yeah, I, I think you know, still, still a really important player. For them.
0: Are our Spurs a weakened side without Christian Eriksen? Obviously, he's now at in Inter. Is that a big loss for Spurs?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, certainly the loss of that kind of peak Eriksen is um, is a blow. It's slightly warped because for like the first half of this season, he was a bit of a shadow of himself with this toll. Uh, end of his contract hanging over him, so you have to cast your mind back really to last season to remember him for anything like his plans. I do think as well that Lo Celso being so good has softened that blow because mm. they're similarish players, and I think Lo Celso will he will actually absorb that quite well. Um, so so not yet has he been talking. It has you know him. Being gone been talked about that much, but I think that is a credit to the Selsa, who basically came in as soon you know, him him coming into the team yes. and Edericks moving on coincided almost exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. If Harry Kane was to leave Spurs what do you think will happen or can spurs get someone in to work alongside kane or or replace him what where, where do you see that happening because manchester united who are who are my team up for my sins you know were linked with kane i personally see kane going abroad i i don't see him staying in the uk personally if he was to move on of course where do you see him going if indeed he
1: doesn't so I mean obviously he, he, he talked about the fact that he's not going to stay at Spurs for the sake of it which I think it's quite mm-hmm. and again I wrote a piece at the time looking at how feasible it was he was going to go I, I think it's unlikely it would be such a huge blow to, to Tottenham and he's on a big contract I and mean, when you're on a big uh, a long contract I should say yeah, Tottenham it's extremely difficult to leave and um, yeah, the, the, the priority for a long time has been, or the priority in fans' eyes has been to come to, to bring someone in to shoulder some of that burden. But the pitch has changed so dramatically with um, the pandemic that yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll hope to do some business there, but there are other things that, that may take priority. And, yeah, and I don't think we're going to see like big money being spent by them or, or many clubs this yeah. summer, if, you know, or whenever the transfer window is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because they've had people like Troy Parrott coming through the ranks who hasn't quite kicked on yet, and Son isn't really a number nine. He's he's more like a number ten almost, where he kind of comes in from the from the side and and, and and scores goals, even though he's an absolutely fantastic player. Lomella is exactly the same for me. I you know just would love to see Spurs challenge because people like Lucas Moura on their day can be very superb, just like in that Champions League semi-final over Ajax, of course.
1: Yeah. Son is someone who, um, under Pochettino, when Kane was out, he he would play uh, as that um, kind of central striker in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. Mourinho has said he's more wedded to the idea of a more conventional number nine, which has made it difficult. That said, Son was on a good was on a really good goal scoring run, just as then he got injured. Uh, so you know, losing both of them was. Uh, was a huge blow It's interesting though Because now Looking at it When the football returns And everyone's fit Spurs suddenly have Quite a lot of good Attacking options I mean they've got Like Sun Kane You mentioned Lucas there Deli Ali, Bergwijn So And the Celso And Dombele a bit deeper mm. um, So actually I think They shouldn't struggle To score goals really yeah. when, when the football returns
0: and what about defensively? Because, you know, do you Spurs need to strengthen when football recommences? Because Vertonghen and Alder have been there for, for quite a long time now. They've still got lots of great options in the defensive uh, wide positions, uh, with uh, Rose, of course, and, uh, you know, loads of options there. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, Vertonghen could well be leaving. His contract expires at the end of the season, and, you know, he hasn't signed a new one. Yeah, he may well be off. Uh, so that would lead probably out of Ireland and Statchez as the first choice partnership. Rose currently on loan at Newcastle. I, I don't know how much more he'll play for Spurs. Um, ben Davis is solid at left back, and you've got Tanga who can kind of play anywhere across the back. Sure. Juan Foyt is another defender who a lot of people really like. He hasn't really featured under Mourinho Sesame uh, Mourinho's into that will, will probably end up as a left back. I think will be really good
0: there. I think and then so too. Zer-Courier,
1: who who's this big divisive? Well, the divisive might be generous, but I, I again, I've written a piece defending Sergio. I don't think he's as bad as a lot of people.
0: He's an, an enigma to me because I, I when I saw him at PSG, I thought he was going to be a very good signing for Spurs. But he had moments where he looked shaky. But going forward, he looks very solid.
1: Yeah, he's re- he's really good going forward, and, and like the way the Tottenham have played over the last few years has been with really attacking fullbacks. So yeah, he's frustrating because he has a he has a lot of qualities and things that um, you know think, things to like. But yeah, he. Um, he does lack concentration sometimes and he does make errors, but I, but I think sometimes there's a bit of confirmation bias where because he's made errors in the past, we're kind of quicker to jump on his mistakes with other players. Yeah. Uh, and actually, he, d- he, d- he does offer a lot in other areas, but uh, I, it's not a popular view because most first fans
0: don't and, think very much of And what about Hugo Lloris? Because there's some question marks about him, even though he is a World Cup winner with France, you know, is he getting towards the end of his time with Tottenham? Maybe. I think the, the thing with Hugo
1: is he's extremely uh, important in the dressing room. He's very well respected. Uh, so, you know, it, it would take a lot for, for him to be displaced. And actually we saw, because he was out for quite a while in the season, and Gazzanica came in and did fine. But there wasn't really a clamour for for the Lloris to be dropped, certainly. Yeah, um, And I think apart from that, it's just he amongst the players he's extremely well respected uh, you know he's a very smart thoughtful guy um, and yeah he, he has made more errors recently and, and, and in that World Cup final he made an error that I think to a degree still haunts him despite the fact that France 1 yeah. um, but he, he's, he's still you know I think a really good keeper and I, I just think Spurs have other issues they'd rather address but yes. almost thinking about
0: replacing it What's been your favourite moment following Spurs? Obviously the Champions League um, final would probably rank high up the list, probably highest of the list, but you know in the league this season there's been a couple of good wins, Man City 2-0 win was a great result.
1: Yeah I really enjoyed that one actually, that felt um, that felt like it might be the start of something especially because it was Bergbine's debut uh, and my piece that day was uh, well, what we thought it was going to be before the game was kind of focusing on Bergbein. Now, obviously, that can totally change if something else becomes a story. But as it was, it very much was a story. So that was quite that was quite good because I was watching him really closely um, and then could write about him in depth. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, there, there have been, you know, it's, it's like this season... The, the, some of the most memorable things have actually been kind of off the pitch. I mean, I think it's not a favourite memory, but it's certainly something I won't forget. In Harry's Eric Dyer, of course, uh, and, and the fan in the crowd. You know these yes. things. Yes. Oh yes. Uh, and, you know, again, that feels like a lifetime ago. It was actually only in March.
0: Yeah. What was your thoughts on that? Because that was uh, that was one of the most bizarre incidents I think I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was one of those where it's clear, clearly, he's done something wrong and you can't do that and you know, he will be punished but I think everyone could uh, empathise a little bit on a human level but you know especially the family element so you see your brother seemingly in trouble and you just want to step in and help him I, I think to me that's a really relatable yeah. emotion to feel so yes he has to be punished to a degree but I just think there are things far worse than that and let's not make you know I think everyone moved on you know it's it's not it's not awful it's bad Um, but yeah I think I think the the response it was interesting you know you try and get a sense straight away on things like social media and it didn't feel like dire is a disgrace it felt more like it was inevitable that at some point something like this would happen given Mm. the dogs abuse that players get and yes they need to not react like that but maybe something like this eventually was always going to happen
0: Obviously following Spurs, this is my last question on, on Spurs, um, other grounds in the Premier League and, and elsewhere where Spurs have been at and you've followed them, um, what, what ranks highest?
1: I was really impressed with the and Arena earlier this season, I was say it felt enormous and just like really futuristic, um, that was one that really kind of lived up to the hype in my mind, Yeah, uh, Anfield looked into uh, a couple of times. And, it also feels very special though it feels a lot smaller weirdly, the Anfield felt smaller than I kind of expected
0: and remember whereas the Alliance felt uh, felt bigger somehow yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and Munich a very good side as well uh, we started with tennis in this podcast so let's complete the circle and go back to talking about tennis because your contribution to the tennis podcast is, is certainly something that I think adds value to the podcast what made you want to get involved with those guys?
1: It started on um, I think it was Wimbledon 2015 where the, te- the tennis broadcast at that time had just signed up with the Telegraph as a kind of partnership and each day during that tournament the idea was that they get someone, one of us on who was reporting uh, to go on as a guest and I did it a few times and, and really enjoyed it and, and kind of hit it off with those guys, we got really well and so we do it. Wimbledon, and then other tournaments, and then sometimes out of tournaments. And mm-hmm. uh, and I, yeah, we, we all get on really well. So, um, and, and I really enjoy doing it. And I think they've always, you know, seem to have liked having me on it. So it, it just worked well. I mean, it's such a fun group of people. Uh, they've been doing it for a long time. and I think they've really nailed that format. Um, so, yeah, it's always a pleasure to do it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, now because. Uh, for the moment, you know I cover football, um, so I do it less than I than I used to. But it's it's still one of those where I've gone from time to time and uh, you know I speak to them regularly. anyway. Yeah,
0: talk talk to me about um, David Law and Catherine Werker, because they just know their stuff about tennis. And Matt Roberts has also been a, a great contribution to the podcast as well.
1: Yeah, I think they all offer so much in a different ways. I mean, I thought when I was growing up, I, I had quite a good head for tennis and football but Matt
0: is on another level Absolutely. <laughs> if, he,
1: if he doesn't know it then it's probably not worth knowing um, and then David, David fantastic broadcasters um, David is one of the most like, energetic uh, and infectious enthusiastic people you know? yeah. I, I think I think that was the first podcast I'd done at that time and yeah I, it, I was just so impressed by the energy that he brings and yes. still does to Podcasts and, and Catherine's similar. She's so uh, she's so good and, and completely knows her stuff. You know, forthright in her opinions. Um, you know, but yeah. All very well researched yeah. and thought out, and there's
0: so, good yeah. and there's good banter between them as well. Because I know that David's yeah. a big West Brom fan. I think Catherine's a Reading fan, isn't she? And uh, and Matt sports Fulham, so it's a, a good a good vibrant footballing mix as well within that. And I, they yeah, have mentioned definitely. that quite a few times.
1: Definitely, I think that is one of the the, the things it really has is that they just, they all just do get on really well, and you, and you feel that as a listener. And I know. Like a lot of people listen to it. I like. I know someone who isn't even into tennis, but listens to it just because she really likes the dynamic that they yeah. have, uh, the energy they have, and to do that is is so impressive. And it, it's also, you know, it comes down to how hard you want to work because they do such regular podcasts. They do them like every day, at Grand Slams, and it just shows. You know, if you want to build up that uh, listenership and, and have that. Uh, connection, you you, Mm -hmm. know you do need to put the hours in and they've done
0: that and it it just works. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie, we're coming to the end of this podcast, I've really enjoyed our discussion. Just to wrap things up, what's the future holding for yourself? Obviously, you've got the the imminent arrival of uh, your new birth to look forward to. Um, I take it that's got to be at the forefront of your your mind at the moment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is, that's that, Um, yeah, it's it's weird because it's such an uncertain time. But that's definitely something to to really look forward to uh hopefully we'll get some live sport back at some point um but yeah who knows try try not to look too far ahead not to sound like a you know professional sportsman but um yeah it feels like uh we yeah we just don't know what's gonna happen so um but i i hope you know i hope lots to look forward to but yeah, it's difficult when you don't know when the next football match is coming from, and, and all of that sort of thing.
0: So yeah, yeah. I just want to finish up by saying all the best uh, for yourself and your wife over the the next couple of months and going forward as well. I hope everything. I'll keep reiterating again. I hope it's a very smooth transition uh, for you guys, and hope everything goes well. Uh, and thanks very much for opening up about your time following Spurs and your time in the Athletic and your career in journalism, Charlie. Thanks again for coming on the Campbell's Footballs Podcast listener that brings us to the end of yet another episode of campbell's footballs i hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered if you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows follow campbell's footballs on apple spotify google podcasts or wherever you listen to other podcasts you can also follow the show on facebook at campbell's footballs search for me statog91 on instagram or other social media channels but until then until next time I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's footballs.
1: What a dangerous night!